And so we need to be upfront with them. We need to be open with them and we need to meet them where they are. And at the end of the day, their needs and how we can serve them should be above whatever profit we're making with any of our investors. This is game-changing information guaranteed to raise your real estate wholesaling business with actionable steps you can take immediately to navigate the ins and outs of wholesaling and start making money today. Join us as we put our guests in the hot seat and dive deep to dissect their strategies for success to enable you to duplicate their results. You're listening to Wholesaling Inc., the only show dedicated to making you a fortune in wholesaling. What's up, Rhinos? You're listening to the Wholesaling Inc. podcast. I'm your host, Lauren Hardy. And today I've got Josh Howard in the house. He is actually not in the house. He's not even in the country. I should probably say that. Josh is, believe it or not, from India. He is in India right now. He is by far, I think, my furthest tribe member. So Josh, welcome to the show. Thank you for coming on. Yeah, thank you, Lauren. It's an honor to be here, really. Thank you. No, it's an honor to have you, especially because I think we're in a completely different time zone. What is the time right now in India? It is 11.36 p.m. Oh my gosh. Okay, so I'm keeping yeah. you up at night. Sorry about that. Well, I mean, I, I'm up at night working usually anyway with uh, real estate stuff, so we're good. We're good. Oh, okay. Okay, so yeah, we need to talk about that. We need to talk yeah. about that. So Josh, <laughs> Josh has had a really big year. This has been your first full year at the time of filming this. We are December 2021. And this is your first full year of being an active wholesaler. I met Josh a year ago. He joined my coaching program, the Virtual Investing Mastery Coaching Program. And at that time, I mean, I'm going to let you tell me. Tell me <laughs> where you were a year ago. Yeah. So, so a little bit of background. I've been living in India for like almost, well, it's been about 13 and a half years now, right? And so my family and I lead a nonprofit organization. We've been doing that for 13 and a half years. A year, a little, I guess we probably met more like, a, I, I guess it's been like a year and a few months ago, because I think I took your course maybe in like the beginning of August, maybe of uh, 2020. And so anyway, we met then. We were dreaming about the potential of what it might look like to start a side business that could help completely replace my wife and I's income in the nonprofit world so that we wouldn't need to start, you know, we wouldn't need to continue to take salary from the nonprofit world. This could take care of our family. It could take care of our kids' future. And so my brother-in-law and I, Greg, really began to dream and kind of pray about, hey, what could we do that could help us become financially independent, get income for our families, all that type of stuff. And that's when I stumbled across you guys. I was recommended by a really good friend of mine in Texas. And so that's where we kind of picked up together at that point. Now, take me before, you know, a year from now, tell us more about this nonprofit you're involved in. Yeah. So it's called Central India Christian Mission. Uh, my in-laws started it about 40 years ago. And so we do, a, I mean, there are a ton of, I could literally take the whole podcast to tell about it. I won't, but it's, there's a ton of arms and legs. My wife actually leads um, a children's home here in India. So we have over 150 kids that are a part of that orphanage. And she started it when she was 20. She's an amazing woman, Indian woman. 
I married way up Lauren. Okay. Like way, way up. She's an incredible, incredibly beautiful inside and out. So she leads that. We have five other children's homes in different parts of India. So a total, there's over a thousand kids that are in those homes, which is just incredible. They come from very difficult backgrounds. And then I work a lot with churches and leaders and training leaders in the churches and things like that. We also have like a hospital and a nursing college and all sorts of things as well. But that's kind of the, you know, the bread and butter of what we do. That's incredible. So your wife's parents started that entire organization how many years ago? Almost 40 years now. I'm the only white guy with the organization in India. It's all, uh, it's all Indian. It's all Indian led. Uh, but yeah, about, about 40 years ago. Yeah. That's incredible. And then your, you, your wife primarily watches over the children's home. So how do kids end up in the children's homes? Yeah. So, I mean, they have a lot of different backgrounds, but I mean, many of them are from a few different ways, generally speaking. Okay. So one way is that teenage unwed pregnancy is a, is a big issue in India, and it's a massively shameful thing, even more so than... I mean, there, there's shame sometimes attached to it in the United States, obviously, but multiply that by a thousand, and that's what young girls in India are feeling. Many times, they could even be kicked out of their families, kicked out of their villages, Arranged marriages are still a big deal in India. And so they'll never have their marriage arranged if they've been pregnant out of wedlock. I mean, it's a it's a really bad deal. And so some of the kids come from that type of situation where a young girl would have a child, but in order to try to hide it from her family or whatever, she would give it up for adoption or give it up to a children's home or whatever. They also come from very difficult. So we, we literally, Lauren, I know this is tough to talk about, but I mean, our team has found kids literally laying on train tracks that were left to die. That, I mean, literally waiting for the train to come in and, and hit them. Things we couldn't even fathom or imagine that have been done to children. And they've come out of those situations, have grown up. A couple of years ago, we just had our first high school graduation. We've got kids in college now that have grown up in the home. It's unbelievable. It's really incredible. So they grow up in this home that your wife is, you know, managing for lack of a better word. And (laughs) I don't know what you would say, manage owning. I don't, you know, Um, and, and you guys are able to put them to through college. Yeah. So we have, I mean, we have very, I mean, Lauren, you've been one of them. I mean, ever since our last podcast, you've given proceeds to the, to the organization as well that goes. So thank you very much for that. But um, we have very generous donors that have actually given money to set money aside for these kids colleges. So yeah, I mean, our organization, because of really faithful people and generous people have been able to put these kids in college we have a couple that are getting there, like literally in med school, becoming doctors. We wow. have several that are becoming nurses. Uh, I mean, it's it's amazing. Some of them have gone to Bible college to go into ministry. It's a really cool thing. Yeah. That's amazing. That's amazing. So then you wanted to stop taking a salary, you know, from the nonprofit, which I mean, obviously you have to, you have to work and make money somehow. So it's understandable. <laughs> right. But that is so, I mean, that it, it's so like amazing, you know, that you're thinking, okay, how can I give more so you're willing to work on the side of your existing work so you don't have to get paid there. Right. So the goal is not to step out of the nonprofit. Right. The goal is actually to continue to pour in, but to do it basically as a volunteer for free rather than for a paid salary. And then what money was coming to us can go back into the work, basically. I mean, if profit meets purpose, 
That's definitely oh, yeah. <laughs> a, a profit meets purpose mission. Um, so that's incredible. And, and it has been an honor for me to be, you know, a part of it and a part of your success. So in, in your success is tremendous. So in one year, it's been amazing to get these updates from you. So let's talk about your results. How have you done in wholesaling over this 2021 period? I'm, I'm laughing, Lauren, because I never imagined I never imagined what would happen, okay? And so I definitely feel like our why is pushing a lot of this. You know what I mean? Like I yeah. feel God's favor on it. I feel like there's a lot of special things happening because of the why behind our business the way that we treat our sellers and our buyers and all of that with integrity and honesty and all of those things. But so 2021, we're going to be, we're going to be finishing up the year this year, Lauren, our, our first full year of business at right about $500,000 of gross revenue as a company, um, which was literally Lauren, our goal, like our goal was like, I think a hundred, 150,000 this year or something yeah. like that. Like it was, which would have been still amazing. Like that would have been incredible, but it's been crazy. I mean, we've closed on, I think by the end of September, it'll be over 40 deals this, this year, something like that. And so it's, it's, yeah, it's been mind blowing for real. You know, that's amazing. I mean, your results are incredible, but you're right. Like the why that you have behind you is so powerful and you know tell me more about like your integrity and how you treat like sellers how does that integrity that you have flow yeah. through you into your business can you give some people some tips because i think if anybody's yeah. listening to this they need to think like okay yeah i need to do that too yeah absolutely so i mean wholesalers you know like for example when we stepped into our market we're in the indianapolis market there are a few really good wholesaling companies that use great integrity, awesome. But there's also, I mean, tons of others that don't. They lie, they misrepresent themselves, they say things that they're not, you know what I'm saying? Like they, they, they don't treat the sellers nicely. They almost treat them like they're you know, lower than them and they try to raise themselves higher. I've told our team since the beginning and my brother-in-law, Greg, has as well. We've really tried to tell our team, listen, our investor, is not our first customer. It's not the person we're serving the most. It's the seller. The sellers are in difficult circumstances, many of them. They're in distress circumstances. They're going through many of them very difficult times of their lives. And we need to love them, care for them, do whatever we can for them, and to show them that we care about them more than we care about the profit, more than we care about the money on the other side. And so we need to be upfront with them. We need to be open with them. And we need to meet them where they are and at the end of the day, their needs and how we can serve them should be above whatever profit we're making with any of our investors. Now, on the investor side, we try to have that same type of attitude. We love those guys and gals. We want to treat them well. We want to treat them with respect. We want to be open and honest with them about situations. Some wholesalers hide issues in properties, like they'll find an issue and keep it from their buyers. We're wide open about it. If something has a foundation issue, we don't like let's pray and hope they don't see it. You know what I mean? It's nothing like that. We'll be very open about all the conditions of the property that we know personally. Mm -hmm. Now, there are times we miss stuff too, right? And the investors find it or whatever. But anything we know, we try to be upfront and honest with them about that. And so I think that wholesalers have a really bad name sometimes because of the lack of integrity and the lack of character and how they treat people. 
when we treat other people with love and respect, especially sellers in difficult circumstances, we have literally had, Lauren, I've had one seller that it was one of our first deals that we had, you know, a year ago or so. He has come back to us. He owns, I mean, 20 properties. He's come back to us five different times over the last year to sell more of his properties because he loved working with us so much. Mm-hmm. And, and it's because of the, you know, just the respect and the friendship and the, and the love that he felt from us in those situations. And so anyway, I think that's the big piece of it, Lauren, really, is mm-hmm. just honesty, integrity. I mean, we've done deals, Lauren, seriously, we've done deals, not many, you can't do a business like this, but we've done a couple deals where we've lost money because the seller was in such a tough spot. We really wanted to help them. And we said, Hey, if we're out a few, you know, a few bucks or whatever, we just want to help this person. There's been times we've done a, a flat, no fee deal just to help a seller out where nobody offered more than what we offered for the property. Mm-hmm. And because we wanted to help the seller, we went ahead and sold it. No fee at all. Just gave it away to the investor, things like that. Right. And that, I mean, you can't outgive God. He's always going to like, you, you can't be more gracious or more loving than he is. And so when you live like that, I mean, people notice that and, and they want to do more business with you. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely believe in, you know, karma and pay it forward, you know, and it's going to come back to you, you know, but if you, right. you know, live your life being dishonest, it's going to come back to you. Absolutely. Well, you know, <laughs> absolutely. So absolutely. Yep. When you're in, you know, that in that role of a leader, um, I, I love your words, love, honesty, and respect. I wrote that down. That's something I'm definitely going to take home and, and see if even my team is doing as good of a job. Cause sometimes you need a reminder, like yeah. what is your, how has your perspective changed from being just you trying to wholesale, doing a deal here, a deal there to now you have a team. Yeah. What are some challenges you've gone through from going to one to a team? Yeah, absolutely. So, so from the beginning, I mean, we had, we had kind of a, not a team, but it was my brother-in-law and I, right? So uh, we were doing it together. I was doing all of the acquisitions. He was doing the dispositions. And then, yeah, now we have a, our team is we have we had, we just, we just had one guy that stepped away for uh, some personal reasons, but we had three acquisitions managers that were working for us. All three of them were pastors, which was awesome because we got to help them do a similar thing to what we were doing. Right. And now we have two still with us that are both pastors that are doing an incredible job, killing it. We have two full-time VAs that are in the Philippines we have an entire team of marketers that are doing marketing for us. So there's, I think, four of them that are on our team that are doing marketing. And, and so having a, having a team like that, plus a couple property runners in Indianapolis, right, to go take photos and stuff for us, having a team like that, I mean, we've really had to make decisions on not only what is best. At the beginning, it was Greg and I saying, what's best for us? How can we how can we do this? Like what needs to happen? So then saying what's best for our company, what's best for our team? How can we build a better, you know, a a better atmosphere for our team? How can we serve them better? So now I've gone from being kind of the salesman, go get them. Let's go talk to sellers all the time guy to now being more about, okay, how can I empower my team? How can I serve my team more? Like just last uh, two nights ago, Greg and I had a, a meeting with one of our acquisitions managers. And the whole meeting was literally, hey, next year, 2022, 
What's your financial goal with our company? Because he's commission only, right? What's your financial goal with our company? What do you need from us to be successful? How can we help you hit those goals? What does it look like in your life right now? How many hours do you have to spend each week, right? How much time can you spend on this business? What's your goal? How can we help you get there? And that's a whole different mindset, right? Than going after sellers and trying to get deals. Now I'm saying, how can I empower my team to get those deals? How do we create systems and structure around them that actually empower them, help them, that they don't have a ton of you know hoops to jump through, whatever? Like, how do we how do we really help them be successful? Yeah. So in one year, you know, you went from doing this yourself to now hiring people, having a, a full team, you know, being, I mean, honestly, a true entrepreneur, you know, you're not yeah. working in the business anymore. Now you're working on your business. How did you know you were ready to start hiring your first employee or fifth? Well, I felt like, so at the beginning, Greg and I decided, okay, this is not taking the place of our nonprofit work, right? It's not taking the place of that. We're still doing that and this, right? And so for the first several months, right, I was working just a couple hours every night, sending texts, doing this, we were getting deals. And then we said, we need to start scaling and ramping up, right? Well, then I went from a couple hours a night to like three, four hours a night. And then I was doing like, you know, from 8 p.m. to like 3 a.m. and going to bed, getting up, doing nonprofit stuff the next day. And when I started getting so overwhelmed that I couldn't, I mean, I was, stuff was falling through the cracks. I couldn't keep up with everything. And I was like, man, we have got to get a team around us if we're really going to get to the next level of this business. And so for us, I really feel like, it was when we realized that we were the bottleneck, right? If, if you're the bottleneck in your own company, it's time, to, it's time to hire people. It's time to get it out there. If you can do it fine and there's plenty of deals coming through and you're not overwhelmed, you're able to follow up with every lead you have, it's probably not time to hire anybody yet. But if you notice that you yourself are the bottleneck, then that's the time you really need to go ahead and, and delegate and hire some stuff out for sure. Is there a certain amount of money you want saved up before you hire someone like their salary, like maybe three months of their salary or six months of their salary? Do you have a rule? That's So that's, I wish we did, Lord. We don't. Uh, Honestly, we don't. But Mm -hmm. well, and because, so our first hire was an acquisitions manager commission only, right? So we didn't need salary saved up. He was getting paid on the deals that he did, right? Mm -hmm. Then we hired a part-time texter to take some of the texting off of my plate. And we had, now I will say though, you do want a steady deal flow coming in before you hire somebody. It doesn't necessarily mean that you need like, you know, months and months of salary in place because this was a 1099 contracted employee, 10 hours a week. It wasn't a full-time salaried position, right? And so because of that, we felt like, okay, as long as we have steady deal flow coming in, we can bring a texture on knowing that the deal flow that we have coming is going to be enough to take care of her. And we won't need to let her go after a couple of weeks or a few months or whatever. And so you definitely want to make sure you have consistent deal flow. And it, yeah, if you're going to hire someone full-time salary and, and they are 40 hours a week, you know, full-time person, I would recommend having a, a couple of months of salary saved. I think that would be wise so that you don't have to let people go all the time. Right. I think that would be good for sure. Yeah. And what about experience level? You know, how many deals did you do before you started hiring someone? Yeah. So we had done, let's see, 
when we brought our acquisition, so our acquisitions manager actually came on fairly early. Uh, we had done thirty or forty thousand dollars worth of deals before okay. we had uh, brought an acquisitions manager on, and so I think that was probably somewhere around five or somewhere between five and ten deals we had done. Okay. But we had several under contract as well. Yeah, but that was only the acquisitions manager, though. Sure. I honestly. If we weren't working virtually overseas, we probably would have waited longer for that. But because we were overseas and because we didn't want to be working, you know, full time on this business, we probably brought people in earlier than some people would need to, right? Mm -hmm. So if it's your goal to step out of your full time job and do real estate full time, then you probably don't need to bring people on as soon as we did. Right. Our goal though is different in order to uh, work. Honestly, I want to work as few hours as I can every week and still create a business that's sustaining our income as a family. And that's a little bit different, right? Definitely. And I, w- I was the same way. I wanted to be with my kids. I want because, you know, I got into this business to quit my full time job so I could be home with my kids. So I had a similar goal. I definitely didn't hire my first employee quite as quick as you. I was a little bit more cautious about it. But right. I mean, I still think it's amazing, you know, what you've done. So let's talk about how you do this from India on a yeah. high level. Because I'm sure a lot of people listening to this is like, wait, what? Like, how do you put a house under contract and you haven't seen it and you live in India? How is that possible? So (laughs) let's walk through the process. So you're doing, it sounds like you're using text message blasting to get leads. You get a lead in, who do they, who calls the lead? Yeah, right. So you mean now, like now or at the beginning? Let's talk about now. All right, let's talk about now. So now elite so we have two acquisitions managers and one lead manager our lead manager is a full-time va that every time a lead comes into our crm it's first assigned to her she takes a look at it sees kind of the temperature of that lead is that a hot lead do we need more information or did the texture was the texture able to get enough information out of that lead that they could literally give it straight to the acquisitions manager and have them call right away? Or does that lead manager need to call them on the phone and get more details, qualify it a little bit more? Because some people are more talkative over text than others, right? So sometimes somebody may say, give me an offer and that's it. And it's like, well, can we ask more questions? And then they're like, call me and I'll, I'll answer questions or whatever. And so that person, we're not passing on directly to our acquisitions. Our lead manager is calling that person qualifying the lead, making sure it's even the lead at all. Then if it is, they pass it on to the acquisitions manager and he calls that person again and tries to go ahead and negotiate, build rapport, things like that. Yeah. Um, and then an acquisition leads, manager yeah, is, is two questions actually, because I, I was yep. thinking of doing something kind of different. You, I mean, you're doing similar things that I do. Yep. Does your lead manager schedule an appointment on the phone, like a phone appointment? Like, okay, he's going to call you at four o'clock or is it just, he's going to call you within 24 hours? So we have tried doing phone appointments and no one keeps them like oh, ever. That, okay, in our, in our market, in our market. So we've yeah. tried it and they'll be like, okay, he's going to call you tomorrow at three. Yeah. Okay, great. Three no. comes around, nobody answers the phone. And it's like, okay, well, that was a waste, right? Now yeah. we do have one in market acquisitions manager and sometimes she does book uh, in-person appointments okay. and they usually do keep those. And so that's a little bit better. Phone appointments have worked horrible for us. Huh. And so we've literally said, 
he'll call you sometime either today or tomorrow and get in touch with you. And then a lot of times we may send a text beforehand. Hey, this is Jason or whoever. Can I reach out and give you a call right now? And then once they respond, he'll call them right away. Something like that. Okay. Good to know because we were thinking of doing like maybe like a Calendly link, you know, and going, okay, you can schedule the appointment yourself or she'll call you within 24 hours. Sort of. But it sounds like, you know, if if it's not worth it it and they don't honor it, then in our market, now, if they did a Calendly link themselves and stuff like that, it may potentially work. And it probably depends on the market. I mean, there are people that I've spoken with that have decent success with phone appointments. For whatever reason in Indianapolis, they just really don't keep them or they forget about them. We'll remind them, but they still don't come. You know what I'm saying? They still right. don't pick up the phone. Good yeah. to know. That's so really we just interesting. Try to, yeah. So we try to get them whenever we can. <laughs> so then an yeah. acquisition manager talks to the seller, builds some rapport on the phone, right? And then do they go to the house first or do they so make no. it on the phone first? Yeah. Because we've been virtual, we have not done visit the home first and then get it under contracts. We get it under contract and then send a photographer to the house to get photos and video. We will run numbers based upon Zillow and PropStream. And you know sometimes we'll use a couple other sites or what have you, but we'll use numbers based upon that and then run our numbers uh, based upon what we see on there and then give them an offer. If they accept, then we'll go ahead and put it under contract. There's been, honestly, Lauren, very few times that we've had to renegotiate. Most of the time, the seller's pretty open about the condition of their home. Every now and then, we've had a few that have been like, like one, for example, one person was like, oh, my home's great. I just have this little hole in the ceiling. Like, that's it. And we're like, okay, well, we can fix that. We go there. There's dog kennels in the house. Like, there's like, it's a, it's like, a mess everywhere. And we're like, hold on a second. We gave you a price based upon this. We're going to need to come down. She came down actually a lot, but, but it was most people that were pretty open and we usually don't need to renegotiate after visiting. Right. Right. Yeah. No, that's cool. That's cool. So you, do you put the house under contract over the phone too, or does, do you visit first and then bring a contract? No. So it's over the phone through DocuSign. Like we'll, we'll do it on DocuSign right then and there as best we can. We do have an issue sometimes like where we're trying to get better at this, where we'll get off the phone, send the sign, and say, hey, take a look at it. Then we have to follow up like 20 times to make sure they sign the, the contract, right? Sure. Um, we're trying to get better at getting them the link and actually being on the phone with them when they sign. Mm-hmm. That helps them sign a little bit faster, obviously. But honestly, though, for basically this whole year, it's been after we negotiate, after they agree on a price, we get off the phone, send the sign. They sign usually within 24 hours or so. Every now and then it's like two weeks later, but, but every now and then, you know, it, it takes longer. So yeah, that's, that's kind of the, the process. So, and then after it's under contracts, we will go see the, go see the property. The photos and all that. And then who walks, so say you have, you know, you show your buyers list, these photos and this property, who walks the buyers through? Yeah. So we, we've had a couple different options. One, if, if our acquisitions manager in India is available, he'll go and walk them through. Two, there's been times our photographer, who's actually a really stand-up great guy, mm-hmm. he'll go and actually be with them. 
I have a couple real estate agent friends that'll do a flat fee to go do an open house for our investors. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we'll give them, you know, whatever they've agreed to, we'll give them some money to go just be there for the open house, mm-hmm. which they love because they're building relationships with investors who may want to sell the home later uh, sure. through a real estate agent, right? So the agents love that. And we have two really good friends in Indy that are real estate agents that sometimes will host uh, the investor walkthrough for us. So it depends on the situation. Most of the time though, it's our acquisitions manager in the city. Awesome. Awesome. It feels very much similar to my blueprint. So <laughs> there you, I, go. you would think I took your course or something, Lauren, maybe, maybe that was it. <laughs> All of this sounds very, very familiar. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> you must have seen my operations manual. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> no, I love yeah. it though. It is exactly how we do it. And you know, we've sliced and diced this process different ways, you know, yeah. we try things you know, like I said, the calendar invite thing, we thought, let's try that and see how it works. We haven't executed it yet, but we want to try it. And you know, you try different things, you see if it's more efficient. Sometimes it's not and you ditch it, you know? So it sounds like I'm glad to, I'm glad that like you are doing what I'm doing. And it sounds like even I'm still on the right track. I was just curious if there's anything. (laughs) There you go. Yeah that maybe I could be doing better or more efficient. But so what's next for you? Yes. Yeah, so, so now what? Yeah. So, I mean, we're, we're in all, I mean, we're in full scale mode, Lauren. We've joined this uh, real estate mastermind group that has been helping us scale massively and, and just been doing a, an incredible job helping us kind of get to that next, you know, that next level, learning from other people that are at similar stages, right? I mean, we're looking this year, you know, we're looking at tripling our business this next year is the goal. We're looking to hire, we don't have any full-time acquisitions managers yet. So we're looking to hire our first full-time acquisitions guy in Indianapolis or gal. And, uh, and so we're looking to do that. We're getting into radio in quarter one um, because it's killing it in the Midwest. And so we're looking to try to start doing some inbound leads. So we're going to be diversifying marketing and, and really trying to scale the business really well this next year. Greg and I want to start moving more and more into more of the owner box, I guess you could say, if you've read Traction, the book Traction, more into the owner box and have some people that are actually helping manage the company, manage the staff, things like that. And so our goal is to get fully, all income fully replaced uh, with our with our family and then get our kids' college taken care of and all that type of stuff. And then to be able to give back as much as we can, you know? And so we want to we wanna continue to scale the company and, and get it to the right spot. And then one really exciting thing, Lauren, that I forgot to mention, we're actually starting another business this next year called Nomad Wholesaling, Mm. which is basically we're wanting to come alongside of other people in similar situations to us that are in potentially international places or doing missions work or being a pastor or whatever, and coming alongside of them and helping them get started in this business. So that's pretty exciting. We've got our first client. We just signed up like last week or a couple of weeks ago. And so we're, we're really excited about that as well. Yeah. Awesome. You guys are doing so much good work and I am very, very proud of you. So Josh, thank, you, thank, you. thank you so much for sharing your story. And we will put in the show notes, the original episode Josh and I did probably six to eight months ago. So it's like a different, you know, you were in a different stage. So it's cool to be able to see, you know, I recommend listening to it because you'll be able to like hear, you know, where he was then and just in such a short time where he is now. 
And it's really been amazing to be a part and, and a contributing part to your success, Josh. If anybody wanted to get a hold of you, um, are you on Instagram or Facebook? What's your no? So I'm not. I'm not on any social media, but okay. they can email me, um, okay. Josh at igniteinvestmentgroup.com. Josh. So Josh at ignite i g n i t e investmentgroup.com. Okay. And Lauren, honestly we would not be where we are today without your help, without your coaching. And so thank you so much for pouring into us, for helping us, especially get off the ground. Really, we, we're super, super grateful. So thank you. Oh my gosh. Well, no, the pleasure has been all mine. So thank you so much for trusting me in, uh, in this process for you. And if anyone listening to this is interested in uh, going virtual and having a similar story as Josh, I would love to help you in your virtual journey. Check out www.virtualinvestingmastery.com. And that's it, guys. Well, Josh, thank you so much for coming today. And guys, thank you so much for listening. I will see you guys next time. That's all for this episode. Your next step to success is to continue the conversation over at wholesalinginc.com by joining the mailing list as well as get your chance to book a strategy session to learn the systems and become part of the tribe and work personally with one of our amazing coaches. We'll see you next episode with more ways to make you a fortune in wholesaling.